as we've just sung there in the song, above all the heart must bear the longest part. How's your heart? How's your heart bearing up? I'm not talking about your health situation, whether you're taking beta blockers or some other kind of medication, whether you've had surgery on your heart or not. How's your spiritual heart? How's your heart before God Almighty? It's my job to ask these questions. The apostles ask similar questions. And this morning we're going to read on in Revelation, we're going to read this second message from Jesus to the church this time at Smyrna. Smyrna. Those of you who've taken notes previously or been to the series so far will know this series is entitled Ready for the Return of the King. Well, if you've just sung my God and King, meaning it sincerely, knowing who he is, then you are ready for the return of the King. You may still yet be more ready, but you are ready. How can we be more ready. Today's sermon is entitled Testing and Triumph. Testing and Triumph. A lot of the time the Lord uses testing to make us more ready for his return. To make us more ready for heaven, the place where we'll be for eternity. Testing and Triumph. Smyrna. I wonder if you've heard of Smyrna. But it's the next church to whom Jesus sends a message through the Apostle John. Remember the number of churches, uh, seven represents the universal church. Uh, The sevenfold spirit of God is the Holy Spirit who has come to the church to empower its ministry during the tribulation of the church age. All the trials, challenges and struggles as the kingdom of God breaks in to a resistant world, to a confused world. The question for us this morning is, how are we resistant? Are we resisting the breaking in of the kingdom? Considering the the parathletes once again, the Paralympians, they do not let their disabilities hold them back. They admirably pursue the glory of sporting achievement. What about us? Do we allow our weaknesses to hold us back? Do we use our circumstances to justify inactivity in the work of the kingdom? Surely it's someone else's responsibility. Surely we can leave it to Pastor Ben. He's the trained man of God. We can leave it to the missionaries of Grace Baptist Mission. Those who've been called, those who've been qualified. Well, the church at Smyrna, Smyrna, a beautiful city with a thriving harbour, a trade hub, a city which had been reborn following its destruction in the 6th century BC, been uh, reborn Uh, just over 300 years previous to this message being given. 
Uh, it was a city that had beaten 11 other cities uh, who were competing to have a temple built there to uh, the honour of Emperor Tiberius. Smyrna was a leading city in, in the imperial cult, so popular at the time that Revelation was written. The other prominent goddess worshipped at Smyrna was Sibyl. Sibyl, pictured with a crown resembling, resembling the city walls, and the buildings of the city were said to resemble also a crown around Mount Pagos, the hill on which the city was built. So the church at Smyrna is set in a very worldly steeped culture. It has a great challenge if it's going to shine the light of Christ to the world around it. If it's going to follow faithfully in the footsteps of their saviour. Because there are deceptions and distractions all around them. Once again John writes using an intimate knowledge. Not only of the physical features of the place to where he writes. But also of the people of the church at Smyrna. A people who need to know who really is worthy of worship. The one who holds the true crown, the crown of life, and the one who alone can deliver us through not only the first death into resurrection, but also through the second death, the judgment of God Almighty. Let's turn to scripture and read together from verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8 of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. May God bless his word to us this morning. If you're taking notes, then I commend the three points to you. Firstly, faithfulness. Secondly, false witness. And thirdly, fear. Faithfulness, false witness and fear perhaps it seems strange to you that Jesus makes a point of reminding the church at Smyrna to be faithful having read what we just read since they, they have no message of correction or rebuke from Jesus it seems like they were being very, very faithful indeed remember last week uh, the church at Ephesus had been Corrected by Jesus for forsaking their first love. 
Or Smyrna gets a, a shorter message. But still, Jesus calls them to be faithful. You see, faithfulness, when times are relatively easy, when there's food on the table and when meeting freely is not challenged, is that really faithfulness? Do we find faithful people in such times? The problem facing the church at Smyrna may have in fact resulted from their faithfulness. The call to be faithful to Jesus means being unfaithful to the worldly culture. In their case, the cult of acknowledging the emperor as divine. The acceptance of unbelieving Jews depended on watering down the identity of Jesus. Something that the church at Smyrna was not prepared to do. And so, consequently, they would experience, at best, rejection from their fellow citizens, and at worst, terrible persecution, especially with an empire-wide campaign of persecution being unleashed by the emperor Domitian. Domitian was a terrible man. He'd had his own brother murdered. Then he launched a great persecution against the church across the empire. And finally, what led to his assassination was a number of executions of senators in order to confiscate their rich estates for himself and his cronies. Domitian had trumped up charges and accusations against them. Some things don't change, do they, in politics? But as always, in such political houses of cards, it all eventually came tumbling down. And with Domitian's demise, would eventually come relief for the suffering church of Christ. But we know, don't we, when we read in Scripture of these persecutions, it's not just simply Emperor Domitian is an evil man, he brings this persecution. What does Joseph tell us in Genesis? What man intends for evil, God intends for good. God can use persecution to refine his church. To prove the faithfulness of his people. Praise God. This great persecution of the church that I've mentioned under Emperor Domitian was only just breaking out at the time of writing. And the church, including the church at Smyrna, would need to be prepared. And so Jesus sends a loving word of exhortation to them to remain faithful through their tribulation, even faithful unto death, Jesus says in verse 10. Remember, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done. Jesus was faithful unto death for us. For you, praise the name of the Saviour. The Gospel tells us that Jesus intentionally set his face towards Jerusalem. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 51. What does that mean? It means that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Jesus knew he was going to face cruel Roman execution. 
Jesus, having been rejected by his own people, rejected by the Samaritans, he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Yet more rejection, the scorn of the religious authorities and the cruel justice of Rome. Yet for the joy set before him, he endured it all for you and for me. What a saviour we have. If we were in the situation of the church at Smyrna facing this persecution, what would we do? What will we do? Perhaps the church in your homeland is enduring such appalling persecution today. Perhaps you know friends or family members who have suffered for their faith in Jesus, even perhaps paying the ultimate price for allegiance to the King of Kings. Well, may today's word for the church at Smyrna be a comfort and an encouragement to us today. May he empower us to be faithful. Because false witnesses and slander are being levied against the church. This tribulation facing the Smyrnian Christians has already begun. Jesus has acknowledged the slander of the unbelieving Jews in the synagogue of Satan. He doesn't hold his, doesn't pull his punches, does he, Apostle John? Think about it, the Apostle John, an exile on the penal colony of Patmos. He's a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. You know, what, what do prisoners do? Usually they sort of behave themselves, don't they? You know, maybe they'll get let out for good behaviour. Well, John's not doing that, is he? <laughs> John's, John's writing more of the same stuff that he's been convicted by. He's sending out encouragement to the churches. He, he's not trying to get off scot-free. He's not trying to save his life. He's being used by the Lord God Almighty to encourage his brothers and sisters who are suffering similar persecution the church at Smyrna is also enduring poverty I wonder why that is friends poverty due to their ostracization by the majority of citizens citizens in the world complying with the the popular cult of emperor worship the Jews who had an exception and who stuck to the Jewish legal rituals and obligations rejecting the Messiah Faithful Christians complied with neither. Neither the Greco-Roman polytheistic indulgences and delusions, nor the hard-hearted Jewish fixation on legalism and ritual. The faithful church at Smyrna complied with neither. And so they would be banished from trade guilds they would come last in the pecking order, even lower than the slaves of citizens who towed the line. What about us? Are we ready? Are we ready for the intolerance of our government, of our society? Are we ready to be the exception? 
the, the uh, world likes to speak of tolerance, inclusivity. Well, have you noticed that there's an exception to that rule? The exception is those who cherish the word of God, those who believe the word of God, those who seek to live according to the word of God. We're the exception, friends. And we will be targeted just like the church at Smyrna. Yet what does Christ say? Though they're poor, they're poor by the world's standards, they're suffering poverty, yet they are rich. Yet they are rich. Verse 9. I'm going to read just from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. This is why we were rich, why we are rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We might inherit all the graces, all the blessings of heaven through the blood of Christ, through his suffering for us. And so the church at Smyrna is rich. Friends, I don't need to tell you that the world and our whole culture that we are steeped in is obsessed by riches. How to make a quick and easy buck. How to have an easy life. Jesus said, beware the easy life. Jesus said, beware riches, which can soon and swiftly become a curse. We can soon become chained up by the cares and concerns of wealth. We can soon find out that it's a very demanding God. The God that calls for our affections and our devotion and obscures the one who gave up his rights and riches to die on the cross of Calvary. Beloved, we may face slanderous mockery from those who do not know Christ. Such false testimony is virtually guaranteed. What we want to avoid is becoming false witnesses to Jesus. There will be false witnesses against us, declaring righteous deeds to be unrighteous. But we do not want to become false witnesses to the world, obscuring who Christ really is through our own failure to live out the call. We don't want to say one thing on a Sunday in church and practice something else the rest of the week at home, in the workplace, or with our friends. This doesn't mean we don't know how to have fun and enjoy the good and wonderful blessings of God. We had a party two weeks ago for Courage and Serge's wedding. And we were blessed by sharing a shared lunch after church the day after. But we must make sure that we're not accommodating the blasphemies of the world. We must be cautious about normalising and accepting and even celebrating sin. God's word is clear. God's judgment some of the worst of God's judgment is reserved for those who call good evil and who call evil good. 
Friends, that's what's going on in the world all around us. Evil is being called good time and again. We must be different, friends. Our testimony matters. Sadly, many of the Jews at Smyrna had rejected the gospel of Messiah Jesus. They had denied his sacrifice and were under the power of satanic darkness, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, which says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, with ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus himself became our servant. His apostles became servants. And we too, if we are making good our confession of faith, are also called to be servants of others too. That includes me. So let us stand firm. Let us be faithful through slander, through the testing of persecution, and even in prison. God forbid one day we should face death for the name of Christ. May we be no longer fearful. Just as an aside, remember the symbolism found in Revelation that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Well, in verse 10, we find another number. Can any of you tell me the number we find in verse 10? Well, it's quite convenient that it's 10. That's right. Verse 10, the number mentioned is 10. Okay. 10 days in prison, 10 days of persecution. Well, the number 10 represents fullness, represents completion. We don't know the length of the prison sentences that the church would face, but God did. God knew exactly. And the apostle wants the church to know that whatever the period of suffering they were to endure, it would have an end. God has set limits. Not only limits in creation, limits on the boundary of the sea, on the boundary of the land, limits on time. He set limits on prison sentences. He set limits on persecution. He stays the hand of the enemy. Dear friends, God also has a purpose in suffering, as I've said already. What the world intends for evil, he intends for good to refine us and test our willingness to separate ourselves from paganism and from the idolatry of the world. In this life, friends, fear is a given. Let us not fear the world, but let us rightly fear the God who made it. So my third point this morning is fear. 
The amazing thing is that this God speaks graceful and glorious words. Look at what Jesus says. Do not fear. Verse 10, do not be afraid, he says. These words, do not fear, appear six times in the New Testament, of which Revelation uh, chapter 2 and verse 10 is the last. Jesus also uses the expression, fear not, same meaning, four times in the New Testament. These soothing words are indeed a balm to the ears, even to the very souls of those who know the truth. Those who love the Lord and have come to hate their flesh. The agony of the insatiable sinfulness that plagues the world and yet still lurks within each one of us. Let us not take the apparently easy path, but let us resist the temptations of the flesh and pursue righteousness. As we read at the start of the service in Psalm 119 from verse 33, the psalmist says, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. Dear friends, the Lion of Judah will one day judge the earth. And there is great reason to fear this. Because the first death is not the end. This world is terrified enough of the first death. People don't want to die. They want to do everything to keep themselves alive. Finding a cure for cancer. Doing every kind of treatment under the sun to preserve their youth. Finding the golden pill. There's nothing wrong with seeking to help people, seeking to cure people, and seeking to alleviate their sickness. But if you're doing it because you're terrified of death and you believe that after that is the end, then it's hopeless, isn't it, dear friends? The first death is not the end. There is, according to God's word that we've read, a second death. What is that second death? Some of you might be asking right now. Well, Revelation tells us, Revelation 20, verse 6, 20, verse 14. Revelation 21, verse 8 says that this second death is a fiery judgment of the one who is the first and the last. The one referenced in verse 8. And that judgment is reserved for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, it says. Revelation 21, verse 8. Can you see how necessary the righteousness of another is for us? When I read that list, especially with the words of Christ echoing in my ears, his definition of murder, his definition of adultery, his definition of hate, his definition of lying and slandering, his definition of sexual immorality, it comes rather close to home, friends. There is only one way, and that's through the righteousness of another. 
even the precious Lamb of God, where he gives his righteousness through the great and glorious exchange at the cross. His righteousness for our unrighteousness that he takes upon himself. He swallows it up. He is the great death eater. He's the great sin conqueror. Praise God. Without his righteousness, friends, we would each face the excruciating and unavoidable second death, the righteous justice of God Almighty. In his purity and holiness, he is a consuming fire, friends. But he is also a great saviour who loves his people. He has made a way for us, the one who conquered death, both the first and the second death at the cross. His righteousness is ours if we follow him through poverty, persecution and prison and even death if we're called as his martyrs. Friends, he has made the path clear, straight and certain. The riches of heaven are ours if we've heard and answered the call of the Saviour, Jesus. If we've repented of our sin and taken his hand and walked with him. And the second death, like the first, will hold no fear for us. So will you take his hand? Will you walk with him? Have you acknowledged Jesus as your first and last? Your God and King? Well then, friend, I want you to know this morning, whatever your circumstances, you are rich. And the crown of life awaits you. You know, at the end of a competition in the Olympics, or at the end of the Euros, there's an award-giving ceremony there when the cup, or the medals are given out. Prestigious moment. The height of many sports people's lives. Just imagine the day when you receive the crown of life from the Lord God of all. Shall we pray?